Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis, everybody. I'm Emily Trenum, and you're listening to WYXR 91.7 FM at Crosstown Memphis. And today, I'm thrilled to have two guests from My City Rides, um, Andy Nix, who's the executive director at and lead flyer, and we'll tell you in a minute what that means, if you don't already know, and Megan Klein, who's the director of flyer operations. So welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. us. So um, I'm a, you know, a huge fan of My City Rides um, and I'm hoping everyone knows who My City Rides is, but let's remind them what My City Rides does and what it's, why it was, um, why it was envisioned and created in the first place. Sure. Well, My City Rides, first off, is a transportation focused nonprofit. And our primary mission is to help people get to work, recognizing Memphis has a big footprint. Uh, Public transportation is really challenging for a lot of folks. And so my city rides goal is to level the playing field and uh, make true mobility available to everyone at uh, an affordable price. And so that was that that's uh, that was the idea where we came from. We originally sort of sprouted from uh, Jay Martin, who has done a lot of work in workforce planning and preparedness and realizing that you can put programs together like Boys and Girls Club Technical Training Center and train people, get them marketable skills. But if they can't get to work, then they can't uh, that those programs do no good and actually can can be um, can be very devastating. So we wanted to swim upstream, address the core issue of transportation, and that's that's what we've been working on. So what exactly um, does is the program? I mean, the scooter program. So we are a lease to own option. And so we're a nonprofit scooter dealership. We're a out of the box kind of entity. And the way that we work is we create an everything someone needs to get and stay on the road safely package for an applicant who wants to make a scooter, uh, either their primary transportation or an option that they um, will have available to them. So we help coach them on licensing, get them ready to take the test to get their class M endorsement. We provide on-site instruction with um, riding instructors with a huge wealth of experience in motorcycle riding. They are off-duty officers from Memphis Police Department. So we're building a strong relationship with local law enforcement. And then once somebody gets their license, we outfit them with the safety equipment they need, jacket, helmet, gloves, and they pick their scooter color 
and sign a contract with us that will ensure that they have liability insurance and ongoing maintenance while they're making their monthly payments in the program. So for $90 a month for 36 months, an individual can own their own transportation. And once their contract's complete, the scooter and all the equipment remains with them. And they're able to go ahead and get many more years of life and um, worth out of that vehicle. So how did... Um... I guess this is a question for you, Andy, because you've been there from the beginning. Like, did you and Jay kind of, you know, talk about what the problem was and then brainstorm possible solutions? Because I, sure. one of the things, this is very innovative. I think we, we talked about this when I met you. It's just that there aren't a lot of programs like this. And it's kind of like, well, why didn't someone think of this? So how did you, what was that process like? Right. Well, um, I actually was uh, working in a in a uh, small consulting firm that started with a couple of friends and a mutual acquaintance, uh, Mike Bruns, who's a local philanthropist, introduced me to Jay. Basically, kind of under the uh, under the guise of he's got this scooter idea, and I don't really know if you could talk to him and help him think through it. Then that would be great. There's a lot of energy there. And so uh, I met with Jay, and as anybody who's had the opportunity to meet him does, essentially fell in love with him and his idea. You know, he's been uh, very passionate about investing in the community and helping people um, and had started thinking about transportation and how to make that more available and accessible to folks. Jay runs an international company. If you go anywhere else in the world, Scooters and bikes are the way the world gets to work. If you Europe, Africa, Asia, South America, Central America, any of those places, you're going to see more bikes than cars. And so the idea was, well, why not here? And if we're going to do that, we need to make it accessible and try and pull together everything that somebody needs so that it's very predictable and that we we smooth out unexpected expenses. We provide a support network and community to help people acclimate to it. Um, and basically, you know, about four years ago, Jay and I sat down in, in his office and started kicking ideas around. And he asked me to help him build it. And I just couldn't say no. And we've been working on it ever since. Well, you're right. I mean, I've, of course done some traveling and there are, especially, I mean, I've been to Southeast Asia and I mean, yes, and entire families and their pets and their luggage, you know, are traveling around the city on scooters. And I wonder, I wonder why it didn't catch on here, probably because of some kind of lobbying by the auto industry back in the day, not to be totally cynical, but that's kind of how the world works. Right. Well, and, you know, um, it, you, you, you've hit on, on it exactly. And, and, you know, this is sort of a, a crossroads for me because the, the, uh, the firm I was working with before focused on culture. And it really is, it, it's a cultural thing, you know, sort of the uh, American dream is to get a, get a, get a home in a car. And, um, and that, that path, while fantastic, is, um, is, is difficult for many. And this is, this effort, My City Rides, is essentially a big, a culture-shaping, culture-shifting uh, process uh, at a macro level because we have all of the 
ingredients for a successful scooter environment in terms of essentially year-round uh, riding season. I mean, it's the end of January. I rode a bike today. Um, we have uh, great road infrastructure, but we're spread apart. We're there. Memphis has got a big geographic footprint and suffers from density challenges. So things are far apart, works far apart from homes, schools, et cetera. Um, and these, these, these scooters are, are designed to cover a lot of distance. So we're, uh, we're, we're making them available, making them fun. Well, you're right. I mean, um, there are a lot of Memphis has a lot of density challenges. It has a lot of transit challenges. And I want to talk about that a little more in a minute. Um, but first, um, last time we talked, which was more than a year ago, you talked about how, you know, your first year or two was really kind of piloting the program. And I think you had some partners, but you wanted to go big at some point. So where are you in that process? I know probably you know, the pandemic might have affected you, but so, so what's the trajectory and then who are some of, I know you have employer partners um, and who are some of the partners you're using to, to ramp up? Megan, you want to take this one? Sure. So I think our trajectory is um, we are a, about a year um, off of what we anticipated due to COVID, but something that we were really proud of was just the sheer resiliency of our flyers. Um, they proved what we knew about them all along in that they were willing to hustle and um, do what they needed to make ends meet. And so what we saw from our flyers um, last year, we ended up piloting a couple of kind of delivery opportunities because those became so prevalent. So we partnered with the Crosstown Arts Organization to support all of the restaurants in Crosstown with a delivery fleet. And they were hiring our flyers at a you know, $15 hourly minimum wage, which was great. So for some folks that had had hours reduced or something like that due to COVID, they were able to pick up some um, different shifts that fit their schedule. We also partnered a pilot program with GoodRx, sorry, Good Wheels. Um, Good Wheels was a nonprofit that was recognized at the same time My City Rides was for an innovation award by the uh, MBJ. And so we decided to try and bring our kind of strengths together to possibly have an ongoing scooter delivery option for the uh, Good Wheels prescription delivery um, service. So we piloted a couple of those opportunities to provide um, open opt-in uh, options for our flyers. So basically, when we had an employer approach us about this, we would put out a call to the flyers to say, this is opportunities available. If anybody's in need, please you know, let us know. And um, they would then raise their hands if they were interested, and we would pass those you know, folks on. And then that way it was those who wanted those extra hours could opt in. We also provided uh, scholarships last year. So if somebody had their hours reduced due to COVID or they were furloughed due to COVID, we had a payment uh, scholarship that would help them make payments while that was being um, that was affecting them so that they could keep their scooters because the last thing that we wanted was for anybody to lose their scooters and their transportation when it was going to be most critical to them. So the, the mission of the My City Rides organization, you know, helping folks get affordable, reliable transportation was even more critical last year. 
And we still managed to grow as an organization. We added about 60 new flyers last year, despite the challenges. So we know that the interest is out there. Um, they, our application numbers are still up. We're getting ready to start seeing those applications tick up again as the weather gets a little warmer this spring. Um, and so we feel like we're on track to continue that growth that we knew we were going to see um, and that would require a bigger footprint and a consolidated facility. And so that's where um, we're so excited to be able to announce our new campus location coming to Summer Avenue in the fall to you know, winter of this year. Just to build on what, what Megan was saying, we did have some um, some big wins in 2020, as, as, as challenging a year as it was, in terms of developing partnerships with larger employers. When we first started, we had some real loyal local employers like Ewing Moving and Juice Plus that were with us from the beginning, that grabbed onto the idea. So you, you had mentioned earlier that uh, we're somewhat unique. Well, we're real unique. Nobody's doing anything like this anywhere. And so as we sort of jumped off into this uh, without without any sort of without any experience to point to, um, we those those employer partners were a little more challenging to find. As we went through that piloting phase and got a couple got a hundred, then a couple hundred people on bikes, we started to have uh, great stories and data and experience that allowed us to um, to go have meaningful conversations with larger employers. Like for example, the city of Memphis is now a partner with us and any city employees can participate in the program through payroll deduction, which is fantastic. Uh, Service master by Stratos, et cetera. So we continue to grow along that line as well. Well, that was my question um, uh, really was about, you know, going big, um, it seems like employ. I mean, the payroll deduction, I mean, that seems like a no brainer. I mean, I realize in a, in a corporate corporate setting, nothing is easy. There's a lot of um, bureaucracies and people that have to sign off on things. But, you know, you, you do hear that a lot of employers um, have challenges with transportation because, you know, we've got a transit system that just doesn't do a good job of getting people, you know, where they need to be at the right time and getting them home, you know, quickly and efficiently. Every employer ought to offer this, really. I mean, certainly in terms of large corporations, sure. I mean, is there some kind of a big lofty goal that you have? Absolutely. At My City Rides, we've got big plans, really big plans. Um, you know, we've put 280 plus flyers on the on the road since inception, and we're really only just getting started. You know, we're in the crosstown area now, and we're kind of busting at the seams about to reach our operational max, which is exactly why we, we, we went and committed to the new wonderful campus that Megan had alluded to earlier. What that campus is going to let us do is go from serving hundreds to really serving a thousand or more. We envision scale for for this to, to really be a thousand folks in the program at any given time and and honestly even north of there. Um, and we look to be growing along a trajectory that will get us there within three to five years. The pandemic has slowed us a little bit, but we do recognize that the pandemic actually is going to serve as a magnifier for need, really, when you think about no question. 
socially distant forms of transportation, people are going to want to be a little bit spread apart. Um, the, uh, not to mention the economic ramifications of the pandemic on so many in our community. And this is such an economical way for transportation, true mobility, that uh, that's going to, to drive demand. And, and then also, uh, when, you, when you take a look at the two other big things going on now socially that are in, 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 in the world that are impacting our community and every community are, are climate change and, uh, and, and, and injustice, uh, you know, racial injustice. And my city rides strives to, to be part of the solution for both of those, actually for all four of those, for pandemic, economics, injustice, and, uh, and climate. That's great. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM, and we're talking to Andy Nix and Megan Klein from My City Rides. So before we talk about the exciting new uh, campus, um, one other sort of transportation question I have, because I'm a little bit of a transportation nerd. So the, um, you know, we've got a big, you know, of course, Memphis is very car oriented. And, um, but over the last, um, you know, 10 years or so, we have been more successful in, you know, bringing in other modes. There's more bike infrastructure here. We've got bike share. They've got the, um, you know, the, I call them personal scooters. I'm sure you guys know what they're, what there's a, probably an industry name for them. Um, the, you know, the birds and the, and those kinds of things. So, but the last couple of years, that's kind of really exploded, which I think is great. Obviously we need more options and the city's more committed to, um, to, you know, safer bike and pedestrian infrastructure. Certainly there's conversations about reforming transit. Um, and I just wondered all of those, um, you know, how do you sort of see yourself as part of that system? Maybe, maybe you don't. And I had the height seat, Jared from the height CDC on recently and with the heights line and, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of development happening on summer, uh, the last couple of years. And so I'm super excited to see you going there. And so just, you know, why'd you pick the location and, you know, are there, par are there partnership opportunities in the neighborhood? Just sort of elaborate on what you're doing, what you're going to be offering there and how, you know, it sort of fits in with what's happening in that neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. And when we were looking for a campus and, and thinking about our needs, we knew that we needed a pretty big footprint and that we needed to be centrally located because we've got flyers in every zip code all over the community. And, you know, when you when you draw a big circle around the community and you kind of stick a dart right in the middle, it's kind of Summer Avenue right there. And what we what we love about it is it's really the the intersection of several communities right there with being Hampton, the Heights, on the edge of Berkeley, which is a real potentially target-rich environment for folks that could really benefit from our program. Um, and so we were delighted to find uh, an opening there on summer that that met our needs, which actually is the old Al's Honda. So it's got a lot of you know sort of two-wheel history and nostalgia, and karma, motorcycle it's karma. Right. It was, it was, you know, one of the first Harley dealerships in town, which is kind of funny because the scooters that we use for the program, they're not hogs, but they're piglets sort of. Right. 
But seriously, Summer Avenue is offers a tremendous number of opportunities for us. We've been welcomed by the Merchants Association and they've been actively working with us along with Jared as well, seeing My City Rides as a real asset for their communities. And um, just, you know, with the uh, the ghost kitchen that's going in in the old Napa Parts building a little bit east of where we are, that's a food delivery based uh, option. The possibilities are endless and we love being right there in the thick of it. I was just saying, we have long been um, involved in discussions with Noah Gray and with HopeWorks about ways that we could missionally partner uh, with the development of the workforce in those um, in those neighborhoods and in that corridor. And so finding a site that truly is right there on the Mata bus line, so there's practically going to be a stop on our property. Um, we wanted to be incredibly accessible for those folks that were feeling transportation challenges. And this is our way of, of ending up right in the core of where we needed to be. It's only been a huge you know, um, benefit to us. Like after we went ahead and, and purchased the property, we started learning about other development that we had heard was coming. They were closing deals. And so, you know, Alliance Health is talking about partnering with My City Rides to offer their employers and their home care um, staff a way of transportation. They're going to be catacornered on a back lot right next to us as well. Um, so there's a real um, swell of development coming on summer, and we're just thrilled to be part of that leading edge of, of that work um, that's being done as well. That's great. And I did not know about the food delivery you know, you, I knew that Crosstown was offering food delivery, but, you know, people are saying that, that one of the, you know, we won't know for a while, but that one of the permanent changes from the pandemic is going to be, you know, people outside of cities like New York and Chicago, um, people are accustomed, are more accustomed now to ordering delivery and that that's going to, even after people start going back to restaurants, there's the, de the demand is still going to be there. So the idea that you can connect your flyers with, you know, food delivery as a regular career or as a side hustle, that's just the possibilities there are huge. And like you said, it's right there. Exactly. So, um, so what's the timetable for that whole, you know, moving from across town to summer? I know you said you're, um, you know, you're doing a capital campaign and um, I'll put a link to that in the, if you'd like, in the show notes for the podcast in case, you know, one of my listeners could be depocketed and want to support the work. So, so where are you in the process? We are currently actively working with the architect and uh, some potential contractors finalizing the design plans while we're while we're also uh, looking to wrap up the, the capital campaign within 20 within uh, 2021. We anticipate um, having all of the all of the plans nailed down and the ability to start the process of renovations in mid to late summer. It always takes longer with those kinds of things than, than we would like. We're really passionate about it and ready to start moving dirt and doing that kind of thing. But, um, but we're, we're, we're taking a really intentional deliberate approach. And so a realistic time frame is to start with that in earnest towards the end of the summer, probably be about a six month, um, or, you know, a, ordeal in terms of getting it, uh, getting, getting the campus every, 
every uh, setup just as we need it with the uh, maintenance shop and the ability to do our training uh, on, a, on site at the range and, and that type of thing. Uh, so we're really looking by first quarter of uh, next year to be fully in there and operational. I was just going to say, you know, we have been, thankfully, as a startup, kind of a research social entrepreneurship, we were largely supported by an angel donor through the initial years of our program's operations. But what we found when we went to the community to say, we're getting ready to build this campus, the program's growing, here's how it's performing, more than 80 donors um, joined us and said, you know, we understand transportation is a huge issue. We want to get behind it and help do, you know, the work that support the work that you're doing, because you're not going to find transportation security in many of the the local foundations or the, um, the kind of natural inclinations for corporate social responsibility. It's just not something that's as easy to wrap your uh, hands around as, as education and support for the arts and some of those more traditional um, means of philanthropy. So it's been really um, gratifying, I think, and reassuring to see so many Memphians um, really grab a hold of the fact that all of, all of uh, these other you know, organizations that are being supported, all of these other ways that you can invest in the community are affected by transportation equality, and they're willing to get behind that and support it. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and every little bit helps. I mean, you know, when I was in a, you know, ran a nonprofit and was, you know, responsible for fundraising, so, you know, sometimes funders call you at the end of the year and say, oh, I've got $2,500 left in my account. I know it's not that much. And I would say, I'll take the change out of your ashtray. Like really everything it, it adds up, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So. And you know, one other, one other thing to, to, to add is that um, as we're, you know, though we're still in the, in, in kind of the throes of the pandemic right now, um, we are beginning to emerge out of it. And as people start to get back to work and are, are looking for ways to do that, My City Rides is open for business. You know, our, our, um, our program starts with some online training and I strongly encourage anyone who has even a slight interest or uh, if we pique some curiosity, uh, we have flyers of all shapes and sizes. And I encourage folks to take a look at our website at www.mycityrides.org and you know there you, we have calculators on there so you can calculate potential savings and that kind of thing you can see the vehicles learn more about the program get a feel for uh, what it's like but from through some testimonials from some of our flyers uh, we've got some videos there and uh, think about uh, think about joining or if conversely if you're an employer and you have uh, employees that have transportation challenges, or you know an employer that is, is grappling with that, we are uh, anxious to continue to broaden the circle and partner with with employers and help people get help people get to work efficiently. Well, and I you you made a point that I think is a good point, which is that your program is open to everybody. People that want to reduce their auto use and get to work more efficiently. I mean, anyone can participate in the program. It's not limited based on income or anything like that. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, 95% of our flyers are our first time motorized two-wheel vehicle 
riders. You know, um, the scooters, while they're robust and can cover a lot of ground, are very approachable and easy to learn how to operate. We have, as Megan mentioned, experts uh, teaching folks how in the safe operation of them. And uh, we, we make that service available until folks feel comfortable on those machines. So it, uh, it's, it's, uh, it is a serious solution for a broad spectrum of folks. Okay, that's great. Thank you both. I've been talking to Andy Nix and Megan Klein from My City Rise. Thank you both for coming on. And you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Um, And so thanks, guys. I look forward to hearing your updates and talking to you both again soon. You're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at wyxr.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. We're a brand new station lifting up everything Memphis, and we need your support. But don't go away. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Welcome to the second half of Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 at Crosstown Memphis. I'm Emily, the host, and for this part of the show, we've got one of our regular commentators, Cole Bradley, who's the editor of High Ground News. So welcome back, Cole. Thanks for having me back, Emily. So Cole, the first half of the show, um, I talked to uh, Andy and Megan from My City Rides about some of the things. Of course, that's a great organization. I've been around a couple of years. And so just tell me what stood out to you about that, um, about that interview. You know, I think for me, I think one of the things I love to see is the progress that they're making. I think it's an incredibly unique organization that really is a model for the rest of the country. You know, this this came out of Memphis. We should be proud of this. And the way that they've grown and that they've sustained even in the pandemic is really impressive. I think that, um, you know, it's just a, it's a good program for the city. We did a story on them when they first came out. We did another one at their one year mark. And for a company to be successful in their first year, let alone exceed their goals, is impressive, especially when it is, um, you know, obviously one of my favorite things about them is that they do have a bent towards transportation equity. And that's always important in this city to consider that. Well, I think that's why they were formed is to really fill some 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 important transportation gaps, especially related to helping people get to work. Um, one of the things that I didn't know, which uh, I thought was super interesting. Well, first of all, it was great to hear that they had intentionally supported their flyers um, who had job losses, their income reductions because of COVID, but also that they had, they had connected the, they had connected the flyers to Crosstown to offer restaurant delivery and that um, and that they're moving into their new location is right near a, um, you know, one of those ghost kitchens, which I'm going to just ring my bell. <laughs> people don't know. Jargon bell. Well, it's not planning jargon, but uh, maybe a lot of people know, but ghost kitchens are basically, it's just a new name for, uh, a shared food preparation facility. 
And we have one, a couple of them here, where small food purveyors share a commercial kitchen. But what's different about the ghost kitchen is that, um, which has you know, been done in a bunch of other larger cities, is that actually a lot of times it's like a restaurant without a physical location. So you might get on to Uber Eats and you might order from you know, um, Luigi's pizza to use a complete <laughs> startup. You might order from Luigi's pizza, order it from them. And it's not actually a place. There might be a Luigi who's preparing his food in, um, in this one of these commercial facilities. And it might be right next to Mario's seafood, right? Or Pedro's tacos. Um, and yes, and that's a, that's a, a food concept. So I'm digressing as usual, but all that to say, there's one of those going into Summer Avenue. And I do think that food delivery is going to continue to be a thing after the COVID's over. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, those kind of gig economy jobs are necessarily, you know, good money. But having said that, people do do them as side jobs. And the fact that, that, um, my city rides is connecting their flyers who are interested into those opportunities. I just was very impressed with that. Right. And as we know, you know, a lot of folks are employed, but they're underemployed and s- flexible side gigs where you can set your own hours are always in demand. And t- speaking of things that are popular in other cities, bike deliveries and scooter deliveries uh, are very metropolitan. Lots of places have done this before. It's not new, but it's new to Memphis. And I think that it really does speak to the the growing infrastructure around multimodal transportation, that it's safe and reliable and also desirable to do something like this. And of course, you know, a company, a transportation company, you're not going to go to a, a car dealership on Covington Pike and they're going to say, if you can't pay your bill this month, let's uh, let's help you get some supplemental income and we'll work with you. So being a nonprofit matters and being social, socially oriented, social justice oriented is important. And aren't you excited uh, since, 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 you know, it's not really an episode of Memphis Metropolis unless there's multiple discussions about Summer Avenue and how great it is. So aren't you excited about My City Rides, their decision to move their campus uh, to Summer Avenue to the former Owl Cycle Shop? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Summer Avenue is my jam. Summer Avenue is iconic in Memphis. It's a thoroughfare. It's a heartbeat of the city. It has been since it was a dirt road, really. Um, you know, it's it's a working man's street. It really is indicative of Memphis in terms of its diversity. It's international. It's, to me, the most international business community in the city. You know, 30-something countries represented in a, what, four or five-mile stretch of summer. And the food is incredible. So if we're talking about linking people to be food delivery, like, that's ideal there. It's the to me, it's a foodies destination, and it's also the showing of small businesses that still exist on summer and locally homegrown businesses. I think it's perfect for them. It's perfect. I do too. And he, as he mentioned, Andy, Andy Nix, who's the executive director, as he mentioned in the interview, you know, it's right. Of course, it's it's in the Heights, but it's right by Berclair. It's right by Binghamton. It's you know. Easy access to all those North Memphis neighborhoods. It's really right off the expressway, too. It's geographically almost dead smack in the center of the city. 
Yeah, I'm excited about that. I think it's going to be a great location for them. And just also seeing the development on Summer Avenue. I think, you know, any businesses that are unique to the city, I think attracting them to Summer Avenue is a win. So um, one of the things that came up, and I did ask them about this in in the interview, is um, about the whole, you know, the sort of their role in the whole transportation system. And I feel like it's, I saw something on social media this week about the number of bike lanes or really bike infrastructure. And that was one of the first shows I did um, back in October. But in 2010, there were less than two miles of bike lanes. And, you know, just over 10 years later, we've just passed the 300 mile mark. And some of that is, um, you know, shared facility, some of it is greenways, but all of that 300 miles is, um, is facilities for transportation. Um, and half of that is bike lanes of some kind. And so I was just sort of reflecting on that about the, you know, My City Rides, about the, you know, MATA and Downtown Memphis Commission and the, um, the Memphis Medical District Collaborative just introduced, it's just introducing a new service called Groove, which is basically an on-demand van service between um, Medical District downtown and New Chicago, where people are going to be able to get on their phones and, you know, summon a van, walk a little bit to a stop and have it picked up, be picked up by a, for a relatively low cost, uh, for relatively low cost. And it just was, didn't they pilot that program with the Southern College of Optometry? It's, I think it's a little Where? bit different. It's, that yeah. was also called Groove. Um, I think that that's a different, um, but it's based on us. It's based on uh, the platform is a service uh, that might be part of Uber called Via, which is a, in if you go to Southern New York, or California. So basically, a lower cost. Uber service because you're sh- you're sharing with other people. You're still summoning a car, but you might have to walk a little ways to get it, and then you're sharing with other people. But it's a lower cost, so it just seemed like there's we're entering. I mean, there's, there's a long way to go. There's no question, but it just seemed to me that we're really and there's been a lot of innovation here, and we're entering a period of time where we're really starting to see, you know, meaningful improvements in the whole system. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the the bike lanes are one of, in my mind, an example of one of the better points of equity in this transportation, because while uh, biking is often seen as a as a recreational activity, it's not entirely in a lot of neighborhoods where people don't necessarily have their own personal vehicles. Bikes can be a form of transportation to get to work, to get to the store to the store, et cetera. And so adding bike lanes throughout this city, they've they've really branched away from what we typically see with fancy development, which is along the Poplar Corridor, downtown Midtown. Uh, they've really branched out from there. And as we know, this it's really a matter of public safety. We have very high rates of pedestrian strikes uh, and of cyclist strikes prior to adding these bike lanes. And it has helped 
So if we're talking about equity as far as stretching those into neighborhoods where everyone gets uh, improved safety, I think that's really been a, a bonus. But also we have to talk about culture. In a lot of these neighborhoods, um, bicycling is seen as sort of the lowest of the low option uh, based on you know research I've been involved in. And so there's a need to shift cultures and mindsets. I think they've done a really good job of that in South Memphis uh, around the Explore Bike Share program and other biking initiatives down there to start to shift biking cultures. Um, But we have to consider those things. And I think to your point, um, when we talk about transportation equity and all of these multimodal pieces of transportation, they're great and all. But ultimately, our transportation issue in the city and the equity piece of it has to be solved by reliable and frequently available public transportation that does not sit on large corridors only. So like in North Memphis, for example, there are two bus lines in the whole of North Memphis. And if you don't live on them, it's a heck of a walk to get to one. So if we're talking about employment, uh, workforce development, et cetera, we have to have reliable public transportation. And also from a disability perspective, elderly folks, people who have different ability levels, you can't jump on a scooter. You can't, children, teenagers who need to get to work or to school, you can't jump on a lot of these transportation options. Bird's great, but it's also not located in the neighborhoods. So we have to talk about these things and work these issues out. We're on a good start. Yeah, I agree. And I'm not suggesting at all that we're where we need to be just that over the last 10 years, there's a lot more options available than there were, you know, I didn't mention in my sort of preamble, you know, explore bike share. Um, They're getting ready to announce some enhancements. And I think they're continuing to raise money to go into other neighborhoods. Um, But that, well, for sure, we've got, we've got to, we've got to solve the transit piece um, the, specifically, we need to solve the bus piece. Having said that, I think this new service is, uh, the new Groove service is an indication that MATA is willing to embrace new ideas. Absolutely. And I'll say too, MATA, there are, speaking of people with different abilities and elderly folks, there are a lot of programs that people are not aware of that they can get connected to. 901 Rideshare or Ride Choice and other programs that MATA sub- subsidizes or MATA participates in. I think they are working, you know, uh, I won't say more so than before because I didn't really, I'm not super privy to that. But I will say I see, I see things that they're trying to do for sure. Yeah. And I'll say too about bike share. Having been involved in some of the very early research when we truly were exploring whether or not to bring a bike share to Memphis, uh, there was a lot of intentionality around exploring the equity piece of it. And I think there's been a lot of factors that have. Um, impacted their ability to spread into other neighborhoods and increase that equity as quickly as they wanted to, including the pandemic. Let's not forget that they're not that old as an organization. Uh, but I do think that the the drive is there. And I think with support, they will, they will become a more equitable system. The intention is certainly there. I would really love it if, I think Explore Bike Share has done a really good job on the community engagement side, but you know, that takes money. You mentioned South Memphis and the works. They had the big jump in their project and they're, they've done a lot of group rides. I participated in some of those. 
and, you know, bike safety classes, all of that, acquiring bicycles. Um, but they, I mean, that's, that costs money. I think they hired a staff person, they had funding to get bikes and, and um, that can't just happen. No, I would love, but I would love that. I mean, you and I, you and I were recently in um, North Memphis and um, some of the people were, you know, you and I are very fond of in that neighborhood were complaining about, you know, bike lanes going in, no one's going to use them. And I, I wanted to say, I wanted to say, we need the big jump here because that's not to, um, you know, be critical of them. I just, it's not a, it's not a, um, necessarily a culture that's embracing that kind of transportation because we're a very car oriented city, but I would love to take those same, the group rides, the whole thing into North Memphis too. And I feel like over time, um, that would get to the equity piece. One, you know, being careful in that a lot of the times when, when, when we think about things like this, it's, oh, well, we just need to go in and educate the community. They're the ones who are at fault here. When I think that Explore Bike Share, especially early on, did a really good job of going in and listening to communities and saying, what is the bike culture here? You know, what do you think about bicycling? What are the rules of safety that you've learned? You know, things like this and developing uh, programs alongside community members that acknowledge the cultural barriers to biking uh, or to other forms of transportation too, and also acknowledge the realities of those neighborhoods. You know, the size of them, the infrastructure, the way that they have been cut off intentionally throughout urban development, um, urban renewal, it makes it difficult to bike in those neighborhoods when, for example, you need to traverse down Warford and that stupid train is stuck on the tracks for hours on end. Right. You know, bicycling's not the, the problem there, right? And for a lot of communities, it's, well, why are you focusing on this when there's so many bigger issues to focus on? And so taking a yes and approach can be difficult. Well, and I think there's also, and this is not at all unique to North Memphis, because I've heard this all from from residents all over Memphis, is that people don't really understand that that if you're repaving a road, the incremental cost of putting in a bike lane is especially just a painted bike lane, which is not the best, but the incremental cost is very little. Right. And um, so uh, I feel like there, there should be greater awareness of that generally, but, um, but yeah, completely. It, it doesn't hurt anyone to put it in, but it, you know, it does, it doesn't necessarily mean that people will use it. Right. And not see it as a positive thing, more as just a vanity project. Yep. So there is an education piece there for sure of explaining why it's not just a vanity thing. Um, and if it's there, you have the option to use it, you know. So if you're so if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And I'm talking to Cole Bradley, who's the editor of High Ground News. So Cole Speaking of high ground, you've got we've we've got a couple of new series that I'm excited about. New or or not so new, but we haven't talked about them before. One is the destination eats. So tell me more about that. Yeah, so 
as you know, Emily, one of our favorite duties to fulfill when we are in a neighborhood is to eat. Yes. Uh, we we eat at the restaurants that we profile because that wouldn't be very nice of us to profile a restaurant. We have not ourselves tried and uh, assure customer or assure our readers that it is adequate. Uh, so we have to do that, of course. Uh, for research and science. And <laughs> we also take a team lunch every Friday and sometimes we'll get takeout while we're in the neighborhoods. And so we love to eat and support these local businesses and, and write about these local entrepreneurs and these local businesses. And so Destination Eats is really going back and revisiting some of these neighborhoods that have just been like bastions for good food, places that people don't really think about. So Hickory Hill, People in Memphis really underappreciate Hickory Hill and its food culture. When all of the big box stores abandoned Hickory Hill, it really left space for some of these smaller businesses to move back in without chain restaurants. You know, there's a ton of businesses that aren't just locally owned. They're owned by residents of Hickory Hill and they're so good. You know, there's Caribbean and there's obviously the best hot wings in town and um, Mexican and barbecue. It's just a great place. And we just did, speaking of Summer Avenue, the Destination Eats that came out this week is about the Heights section where you can find Colombian food, Japanese food, Chinese food, Mexican food, um, soul food, wings. I mean, the list goes on. And so you can check the article out. It gives a list of our top recommendations from that neighborhood, the address, the hours. Uh, you can get really hungry reading the article and go pick you out uh, a restaurant we highly recommend to go so that we can continue to flatten our curve. Uh, but support, tip well, get out there, go eat on Summer Avenue, You're go eat in Hickory Hill. They're just, man, it's the best of Memphis. It's the best of Memphis. And that's really what the series is. Well, you posted a picture re recently. I guess it was part of the, the Hickory Hill. Um, you posted a picture actually of me and some... Hickory Hill residents at um, El Mercadito, which is kind of a market there and the restaurant in there, having a lunch at the end of our being embedded there. And you weren't there that day, and I don't remember why, but that brought back a lot of great memories of lunches. I miss our, we haven't done any Friday lunches in like a year. And I got to tell you how much I miss them because you and I both love to eat, and the restaurants we've covered, there's just so much great. We've had some great meals. Man, yeah, that's the best part of this job. Not going to lie, hands down. Meeting people, great. Writing awesome stuff and and really contributing to Memphis, great. But the food, yeah. Um, you know, and I think it's just a good way right now, you know, Memphis businesses are hurting. I know the whole city's hurting, but our restaurant and hospitality industry has just been battered like all over the country. And so it's an easy way to support for us to support and hopefully encourage readers to do the same. Um, so yeah, I highly encourage checking out that series. Well, and I want to change the subject a little bit, but while we're still on food, just reminding everybody of our still serving video series, which is focused on restaurants and how they're responding to and pivoting. We're all sick of that word, but how, how restaurants are dealing with, the pandemic, because we just um, published the third in that series this past week, which is Inspire Community Cafe, which is a great little restaurant in the Binghampton neighborhood. And um, 
So check that out. Check out that video. In addition to the other ones, um, if people next have not seen those. Yeah, next up is Cozy Corner. So that one's going to be great. You know, we had to have a Memphis barbecue in there somewhere. And North Memphis is one of our neighborhoods. Cozy Corner's right there in Uptown Pinch. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. Cozy Corner is definitely one of my favorite barbecue places in the city. I'm stoked about that one. Um, well, except that I complained about that because there's there's not any visual or mention at all of Cornish game hens, which is what Cozy Corner is the most famous for. So I'd like to complain to the management about that. Well, we will not submit this one for any awards because of our shame for having omitted that. I'm sorry. And make it up to me. You're going to have to take me there for lunch and buy me a Cornish game pen. Deal. Deal. We'll go, we'll go sit in a park six feet away from each other and eat. Um, so last question um, is just let's talk for a minute about another series that started a while back, but has kind of come back with more energy and more focus, which is the Women Working series. Yeah. So it started a couple of years ago when we had an intern who was a high school student and it was kind of her thing that she wanted to interview women entrepreneurs and women business owners in Memphis uh, as kind of an inspiration thing to her. And it started then it kind of died off a little when she left and now we've revamped it. And, uh, Brandy Hunter, who is one of our wonderful talented writers, that has been with high ground for quite a while. She's taken over that series. She's putting out one every month, six weeks, couple months. Uh, the next one coming up really excited about it's, um, Dr. Adrian, uh, Johnson Wilson, or I'm sorry, Johnson Williams. And if you I don't want to spoil it, but if you don't know much about her, she is just a dynamo, just a dynamic person in the city and really, again, one of the best that Memphis has to offer. She's next up in the series, but it really covers all sorts of stuff. We've had artists and yoga folks and um, we've had doulas and musicians and um you know, tech, tech companies. And it's just been really interesting to see the range and the talent that Memphis has to offer. Well, I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm really happy to see us uh, lifting up those stories. I had a, a zoom meeting this week with Epicenter, which is one of our partners and underwriters. And I was sharing some recent examples from that series. And it just was made me happy to talk about that and about that work. So congratulations on bringing that back and, and recommitting to it. It's a great series. Oh, another one I should mention, the Terracotta one was just great. That new store on Summer Avenue yes. in the Heights area, just to bring it back. Uh, Terracotta is just super cool. It's kind of uh, artist market where you can buy locally made things from artists. It's a plant shop. It's black owned, woman owned. It's just a neat place. And so really proud of that one too. That was recent. And I'll give one more plug to, to throw back to uh, bike share, explore bike share. We have an interview coming up with the executive director, a Q and a with the executive director of explore bike share. So, so folks should keep an eye out for that too. Anton Mack. Yes. I'm excited. He's a very dynamic guy. Well, Cole, it's been great having you on as usual. Always a lot of great discussion about what's happening at High Ground and then also, you know, our shared passion for Summer Avenue and um, transportation, of course. So thanks for coming back. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. 
You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy. Thank you.